Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. And turn with me, if you would, this morning to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. I want to continue where I uh, left off last week, so I'll just go back and read our our foundational text. Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Now we pointed out last week that in verse number 17, when it says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, this does not mean that the gospel is a revelation that God is righteous. That, that is a clearly obvious truth. It's a truth that was uh, uh, clearly demonstrated in the Old Testament. That's not what that verse is saying. When it says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, notice it says it's revealed from faith and to faith, as it is written, the righteous, the just, shall live by faith. Another translation of verse number 17 says, for in it, there is a revelation of the divine righteousness resulting from faith and leading on to faith. Another translation said, for in the good news in the gospel, now listen carefully, God's way of man's right standing with him is uncovered. The way of faith that leads to greater faith. I said last week that God is not declaring sin today. God is declaring his righteousness available to man and imparted to man. We looked at uh, a number of scriptures. Let's go over to first, uh, before we go to Romans, let's go over to James chapter five. James chapter five. This was one of our opening scriptures last week. Let's look at it again. In verse number 16, it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice God responds to the prayers of a righteous man. Well, of course, that would include a woman, a righteous person. God responds to the prayers of the righteous. Go with me over to 1 Peter. You're almost there. You, uh, just turn forward a couple of pages. Look at the third chapter of 1 Peter. 1 number 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Whose eyes are the eyes of the Lord? Who, 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 upon whom are the eyes of the Lord? Let me ask it that way. Who does he have his eyes on? The righteous. God's eyes is, are, are on the righteous and his ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. Well, that's a marvelous truth, but for a lot of people that not knowing the rest of the Bible and not knowing what the Bible says about this subject, many people think instinctively, well, that's wonderful. If I could just find a righteous person to pray for me, I'd have it made. 
If I can find somebody that I believe has a close walk with God, an intimate relationship with God, and someone who qualifies as the righteous, if I can get them to pray for me, I know God will answer their prayer. This is the reason why many times Christians are always looking, they might not say it that way, but the reason why Christians are always looking for somebody else to pray for them is very often rooted in this basic uh, uh, misunderstanding that they don't qualify as they should, that there's something less than righteous in their life. And, and of course, we're all acquainted with our own uh, failures and our mistakes that we make and so forth. And we can all be our, our very worst critic, isn't that right? Well, the devil would like you to look at yourself and say, well, you don't measure up. You know what you did last week? You know how you acted with your spouse? You know, you know how you treated that coworker? You know how, you know, you know what you said? You know what you did? And the devil wants you to look at yourself and your conduct and your actions and feel disqualified to go before the Lord. And so you're looking for what I refer to, you know, as that, that legendary person in every church, sister holiness. You know, in every church, there's a person or two, you know, that people really have confidence in them and they just say if I can just get sister holiness if I can just get brother holiness to pray for me you know I know God will answer their prayer and I know God listens to me a little bit but I know he listens to them that's all rooted in a wrong consciousness that's all rooted in what I call a sin consciousness the Bible wants us to have a righteousness consciousness well how can we have that look at the third chapter of Romans Romans chapter 3 I said last week that, as you know, the Bible was not written in chapter and verse. Uh, these epistles, for instance, were personal letters that the apostles wrote to various churches, churches or to individuals in those churches, and they read like personal letters. Now, over time, someone uh, in the history of the church came along for reference sake, and they divided these epistles into chapters and verses. And sometimes the divisions or the way they organized or, you know, sort of, uh, 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 you know, separated the chapters and verses doesn't always really correspond to the way it's written. And so I said last week, if, if I was uh, uh, up on this panel, whoever did this, and it was my job to kind of put, organize the, the, uh, the chapter of, uh, in, of the book of Roman, Romans, the first Two chapters and the first part of the, of the third chapter would be part one. In chapter one, chapter two, and the first half of chapter three, Paul is, is presenting the, the nature and the condition of fallen man. He's talking about the sinfulness of man and how that people cannot walk upright before God by the law. In fact, if you look sort of as a summary of what he has to say about man, it's really a scathing indictment of mankind. In the third chapter, verse number 10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. How many of you ever heard that verse quoted before? Oh, yes, if you've gone to church, if you know people that have gone to church, you've heard that verse quoted, there is none righteous, no, not one. He goes on to say, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They are all turned aside. They have become altogether uh, unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps. 
is under their lips, whose mouths is, uh, uh, mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Shoo! <laughs> this is the condition of fallen man. And it's an accurate depiction of the nature of people without Christ. And so he goes on to say in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, talking about the law of Moses, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified or made righteous in his sight. Notice, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. God gave the law not so much to... uh, uh, dictate how people should live as he did to show them that it was impossible to live by these standards. All the law ever did was identify the lawlessness inside a person's heart. But I want you to notice in verse 29 or verse 21, it says, but now. Verse 21 is a pivotal place in this epistle. Like I said, the first two chapters and the first half uh, half chapter, uh, half of chapter three, uh, introduce this this epistle and is talking from the standpoint of the condition of fallen man. And then in verse twenty one, the the argument pivots. He says, "But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets." even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now we have also heard verse number 23 preached ad nauseum. If you, if you have attended any type of a Bible believing church growing up, you know, or know anybody that, uh, that did, How many of you have been familiar with the verse? You've heard it preached before. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're familiar with that verse, hold your hand up. You've heard it more than once. Isn't that right? It's interesting to me that in this passage, now it's a true statement. In this passage that begins in verse 21 and goes down through verse 26. In this passage, the entire passage is dealing with the fact that God freely makes all men righteous when they believe on him. Every verse from 21 to 26 talks about the righteousness of God made available to man. The only verse in this passage that talks about man's sinfulness is verse 23, and that's the only verse the church has preached. We have, the church has focused on this verse, proclaimed this verse, declared this verse, it's, it's no surprise that most Christians think of themselves as unrighteous. For there, are no, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I gave you a little uh, key last week that will help you and it involves writing in your Bible. Now, if you have a Bible that's too holy for you to write in, that's wonderful. Put it someplace, you know, put a bow on it, do something, you know, but then buy you a good usable Bible that you can dig into and make notes when the Spirit of God deals with you and scribble things in it that, that the Spirit of God uh, enlightens you on. Take a, take a Bible you can write in and, and hopefully it's the one you have before you 
In verse 22, where it says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to own all, to all and on all who believe. Right there before the word for, put a parenthesis. And then go down at the end of verse 23 and put an ending parenthesis. What you have there is a parenthetical thought. It's true, it's part of the verses. We're not trying to take anything out of the Bible. But for just a moment, I want us to read this without that parenthetical thought. We're going to read the end of verse 22 and we're going to connect it to verse 24. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason I took that out is that parenthetical thought, for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is there to... Uh, to explain what has just been said in verse 22. Notice in verse 22, he says, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ and it's to all and on all who believe. Now, the reason that is important or, or, or you could say it like this, the thing that explains the fact and establishes the fact that the righteousness of God is to all and on all who believe is the fact that there is no difference in those who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, the point is, you're no different than the next guy. You're no more deserving of God's mercy nor deserving of God's judgment than anybody else. There's no one else less deserving of God's favor than you. There's no one more deserving of of God's judgment than you. There, There is no difference. We have, the Bible says we have all sin. There are none righteous. No, not one. Therefore, the gift of righteousness is to to all and on all who believe because we're all in the same boat. Glory to God. That's the point of that statement. Instead, the church has taken that statement and, and beat people down with it and said, you know, you're just not righteous. You know, you don't measure up. You're full of sin for all have sinned. So just admit that. Well, you admit that in order to get born again, but when you're born again, you receive the righteousness of God. It's to you, it's on you, glory to God. And it's on all of us. If that's true, then you're prayers matter. If that's true, the eyes of the Lord, the ears of the Lord are on you. They're open to your prayers. He will hear you just as quickly as he'll hear any other believer because there's no difference. There's no difference. God's gift of righteousness has been freely given. Notice what it says. Being justified freely by the grace, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God has set forth as a propitiation, that is a a, a scapegoat, by the way, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to, now notice, to demonstrate his righteousness. 
Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. That's talking about the Old Testament saints. God passed over the sins of the Old Testament saints because of the blood of an animal that was shed. Now their blood, their sins were not washed away. Their sins were just covered and it enabled God in his forbearance to pass over them. But their sins were still there. But now... Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time. See, I told you verse 21 uh, marks a pivoting point and and an important transition in this chapter. Verse 26 says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just, that means righteous, that he might be righteous, and the righteousness of the one who has faith in Jesus. That he might be righteous, And he might be the one who makes those righteous who have faith in Jesus. Oh, glory to God. Now, why is this such a big deal? I'm telling you, sin consciousness has crippled the church. What is sin consciousness? Well, we talked about it last week. As soon as Adam and Eve had sinned, the Bible says that their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. So they immediately realized they don't measure up. They were ashamed of themselves. So the Bible says that they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. And the next verse says that in the cool of the day, God came down walking in the cool of the garden, cool, uh, in the garden, in the cool of the day. And he called out to Adam and Eve and said, where are you? And they said, we're hiding. They were hiding. The Bible says they hid themselves in the trees, among the trees of the garden. And God, God came down looking for him and said, where are you? And he said, we're hiding. And God said, why are you hiding? He said, well, we disobeyed. We've done wrong. What happened? Before that time, there was complete freedom of access. Adam and Eve had no past. They had never done wrong. In fact, they didn't even have the understanding of wrong. Wrong, evil was something they had no consciousness of. Not right? They ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. All they knew before that was good. So they had nothing in them that would cause them to draw back from a holy God and feel inferior. They were created by him. Like I said last week, when God created Adam, he reached down, and this is a true story, it's not a fable. He reached down from the dirt and and molded Adam's body and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living being. At that particular time, as soon as, as Adam was created as a living being, his, the first thing he saw was the face of God because God was breathing in his nostrils. That's pretty close. All he's, the first thing he saw was God right in the face. And Adam and Eve lived with that uh, uh, openness before God. They, they could talk to God face to face. And there was no sense of inferiority or no sense, not that they didn't know he was God, but in the sense of dread or or fearing God's judgment or wrath or not measuring up. There was none of that. They had no consciousness of anything called evil. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know uh, what sin, they didn't have any knowledge of that. But when they disobeyed, 
They fell, sin entered into their lives. And the first thing they did was hide themselves from the presence of God. It's the same thing that, uh, that we see uh, in, in, go to Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah six. Now we know Isaiah was a powerful prophet of the Old Testament, a man of faith. But I want you to see something here. Isaiah 6, 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah's writing, he said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood, by the way, when we sing that song, that's what that's talking about. His train filled the temple. We used to sing that years ago when Ike and Cindy were, were uh, with us. Pastor Ike was pastoring and, and Miss Cindy led praise and worship. And uh, no, I think it was before then. I think it was when the Frickies were here. And joking, jokingly, one day in the office, I'd, I said, why don't we sing that song, His Train Fills the his Temple? It sounds like a, a, t- a depot. Why don't we sing His Train Fill the Depot? And then that just became a big joke around the office. And then after that, I couldn't sing the song because I'd start laughing, thinking about His Train Fills the Depot. <laughs> no, His Train, the train of His Garment Filled the Temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings and he covered himself, his face and two he covered his feet and with the other two he flew and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. Notice that Isaiah, his, it, by, by revelation, he's seeing a vision of the throne of God. And he's seeing in this vision form, he's seeing the seraphim around the throne of God crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And the, and the, and the post were shaken by the sounds of their words and, and the place was full of glory and full of smoke. So I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. What's he saying? He said, woe is me. I I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't look on such things. My lips are unclean. My words are unclean. I'm not right with God. I shouldn't see such a thing. And he's hiding from God's presence. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, he said, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, that is with these, this live coal. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Thank God for purging. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that purges and frees us from all sin. But I read this to show you the universal consciousness of man is to draw away from a holy God. You remember when Peter, when uh, the disciples went fishing and they had fished all night and hadn't caught anything and by morning time, you know, they came to shore and they were washing their nets and Jesus said, let's go fishing. And the disciples, particularly Peter, said, you know, we've, we've fished all night. They were professional fishermen. They knew what they were doing. So we fished all night. We haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, Peter said, at your word, We'll, we'll go, we'll push out. So they pushed their boats back out and went back out and Pete and Jesus said, cast your net on this side and they cast their net, cast their net and when they brought it in, there was so much fish they had to call for the other partners in their boats and they filled up both boats to the point that they began to sink. 
And when this happened, Peter suddenly realized this is no ordinary man. This is God in the flesh. And what did Peter say? He said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Again, we see the human response to God's holiness is to draw back. Why? Conscious of our own failure. Conscious of our own inability to stand in God's presence. That is the purpose of the gospel. Is to change the heart of man and to take out sin consciousness by putting in righteousness consciousness so that we no longer draw back from God. We're no longer looking for somebody else that can pray and get a hold of God in time of need. We can go to the Father with confidence that he hears us. Why? Because his ears are open to the righteous. His eyes are upon the righteous. Glory to God. His ears are open to your prayer and my prayer. If you're a child of God, if you've been born again, God will hear your prayers not based on you or what you've done or haven't done. He'll hear your prayers based on what Jesus did for you. And when you put faith in him, everything that Jesus did was imparted to you and God looks at that. I remember the story of Kenneth E. Hagin in in the first vision he had in 1950. He was in a tent revival. And a tent meeting, and, and that night there weren't very many people there. It rained real hard, and the attendance was low. And so that night he just had a little Bible study, real short, and just asked the people to come around the front and pray for him a few minutes. And while he was on the platform praying, just a, a, an ordinary night, really kind of an off night in the crusade. Not many people there, not much going on, didn't lay hands on the sick, nothing like that. Just a little simple Bible study. While he was praying, he heard a voice saying, come up hither. And he looked up and Jesus, and just the, he saw into the realm of the spirit and there was Jesus standing there about where the top of that tent would be. And the Bible, Bible says he went up where Jesus was. And, this, and, and there was three different uh, visitations that night. And on the third vi- visitation, he, he went up to be with Jesus and, and, and he was standing before Jesus and, and he fell down when he saw him. He fell down and, and he put his, his, hand, his uh, uh, forehead on his hands and rested him on his feet. And, and Brother Hagin said to Jesus, no man as unworthy as I, no one like, like me as unworthy uh, as I am uh, would be worthy enough to look on your face. He wouldn't even look on his face. He just, just fell on the floor before him. Brother Hagin, Jesus said to him, stand upright on your feet. And when he stood up, he looked at him and Jesus said, I made you worthy to look at my faith, face because I have saved you and I have washed you from your sins. You're worthy to look on my face. Children of God, we are worthy to go to God in prayer. Not, listen, not based on anything we've done, but based on what Jesus did for us. Amen? Well, glory to God. What is righteousness anyway? Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God as though sin never existed. To stand in the presence of God with no sense of guilt, condemnation, dread, or unworthiness. To say it another way, righteousness is right standing with God. Right standing with God. A lot of people confuse righteousness with holiness. Righteousness and holiness are not the same thing. That doesn't mean that there's not a relationship. There is a relationship between righteousness and holiness. 
Because righteousness, when you understand it and you submit to it, it will lead to holy living. And there are, the Bible talks about the works of righteousness and the deeds of righteousness, the conduct. So right standing with God will produce right living. But the right living itself is not the same thing as the right standing. When you were born again, you, you were placed in right standing with God. I'm talking about your relationship with God. You're not a stepchild. You're not a disfavored one. When you were born again, we talked about this last week and, and, and we've run out of time this morning, but we'll pick up again next time. We talked about the fact that if any person is in Christ, that means born again. When you were born again, It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Well, I like one translation. It says, he is the work of a new creation. When you came to Christ and believed on him, God, and and then it goes on to say, old things have passed away, all things have become new. When you came to Christ, you you didn't experience renovation. You weren't merely changed. I know we sing a song sometimes that, you know, oh Lord, what a change in my life. And it's okay to sing that, but every time I sing it, every time, I always think to myself, praise God, I wasn't changed, I was recreated, glory to God. And yes, there was a change in my, in my outward conduct and in my life in that sense, but as far as the real man on the inside, I wasn't changed, I was made brand new. The old man and everything associated with who I was and what I was before I was saved, everything associated that with that passed away. It died. It died. It passed away. Everything became new, brand new. I've had women, you know, that, that have had abortions and they've labored under the, under the shame of that. Even after being born again, there's always that, that thing on the inside and they just felt shame and guilt over that. When they found out that glory to God, when I was born again, all things passed away. All things became new. Glory to God. And so God has no knowledge of what you did. I don't care what your sins were. I don't care how bad you lived. I don't care how much you cursed God or how much you didn't know about God. Old things died. Passed away. All things became new. And and that's when you became the righteousness of God. Can we stay an extra minute? Go with me over to 1 Corinthians 5. Second, excuse me, Second Corinthians 5. This is just too much to just quit right now. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, just to save a little bit of time, let's skip down to verse 21. For he, God, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You want to know who you are? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, now what happens is, is your natural mind will rebel against that and your natural mind will think, well, I know the Bible says that, but how can that be true about me? Because I, I, I have these tendencies to failure. I have these tendencies to slip up and I don't always live right. I don't, I, I want to do right and I try to do right, but I keep tripping up and I keep, and I keep sinning and I keep, uh, uh, you know, failing to be perfect and I want to be perfect, but I don't measure up. Listen, you've got to get your eyes off of yourself and your own 
uh, efforts and realize what God has done for you. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Go over with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. I knew uh, one of the first things that I learned when I came back to the Lord as a young man and rededicated my life and started uh, living for God. This is one of the truths that helped shape and revolutionize my, my life. And I knew my wife... Angela wouldn't come to church for the first couple of years. You know, she stayed at home. She didn't. First of all, she, she was really very skeptical of what had happened to me. And she really didn't believe this was true. She, she said, no, this is just a phase. He'll, he'll, you know, move on back to his old ordinary, ornery self, you know. And she didn't believe it. So she wasn't interested. But over a period of time, she finally realized, you know, this is real. What's happened to him is real. Well, she started coming. I, you know, it took a while, but she started coming to church. And I knew because I knew how she was raised. She was raised in the same environment that I was raised in where condemnation was, was preached on a regular basis. We never felt like we measured up. And I knew she struggled with that. Though we hadn't really talked about it, I knew it. And so one night, I don't know if you remember this, one night we were in church and we were sitting down on about the third row down close to the front. She was with me that night. And during the, the, some part of the service, I opened my Bible to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. And I, and I handed it to her and just whispered because church was going on. I, I don't know if we were, I think maybe, maybe we were having congregational singing. I'm not sure. I said, I want you to read verse 17. For, by, for if by one man's offense, that's what Adam did, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. I had those words underlined. The gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And I showed that to her and I said, honey, look at that. Righteousness is a gift. Righteousness isn't something you earn. Righteousness isn't something that is determined by your conduct and what you do. If, if it's determined by your conduct, it wouldn't be a gift. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And I remember when I showed it to her, she took my Bible out of her hand and my, my hand as she looked at it, she looked at me and, she, and I could see the wonder. I saw that it broke across her face and her countenance right then. She saw it. Changed her life just like it did mine. The gift of righteousness. Glory to God. Now turn, turn with me real quick. We'll, and I'll close with this, I think. Turn to, to Ephesians you know, the, the building's paid for. We don't, we're not in a hurry. <laughs> Amen. Everybody's familiar with verse number eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. Now, let me, let me say this. Here's, here's, here's a, a, an indication of what's wrong with, with a lot of Christians. How many times, you don't have to count them, but how many of you have heard this many, many times spoken by a Christian? Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Anybody ever heard that before? I was watching television back in the 1980s. And I was watching The Tonight Show and Johnny Carson, and he had Billy Graham on, the leading evangelist of, of, of our era, was on TV that night. And I heard Billy Graham say, you know, Johnny, he said, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. 
you know, an accent he had, you know. And uh, he said, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. The difference is I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, and I had gotten a hold of this truth. And, and I said right out loud, I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner, but when I got saved by grace, I became the righteousness of God. I'm no longer a sinner. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't occasionally sin. Listen, I have a hammer at home and I have several boxes of nails and I have some saws. I even have a a, a pneumatic nailing gun. I have the instruments of carpentry and I have nailed some boards together. And I have sawed some boards and I have used my, my staple gun. But no one who knows me and my handiwork, no one would call me a carpenter. No one. You know, when we built the church, I, I said to the church back in, you know, in, in, in uh, when was that, 2099, I guess, when we started making plans and building this church, you know, I said, you guys are going to have to pray for me because I've never built anything. I said, I did build some bookends when I was in junior high in Woodshop, but they weren't square. <laughs> and I did build a doghouse one time, and, and, and that was not a, a work of art either. <laughs> I am not a carpenter. That doesn't mean I don't occasionally do things that carpenters do, but it doesn't make me a carpenter. I'm not a sinner. If you've been saved, you're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner, but you became, when you were saved by grace, you became a child of the living God and the righteousness of God. That's your standing before God. You can stand before him and and come before him boldly. Hebrews says, says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? To obtain mercy and find grace to help. Well, why would you need mercy? You don't need mercy unless you've some, done something wrong. So though there might be some areas where you've missed it, you come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. How can you come boldly before the throne of grace when you've missed it? Because when you've missed it, it doesn't change your standing with God. You have right standing with God and his ears are open to your every prayer. Have you found Ephesians 2? We read there in verse number 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared before that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Oh, glory to God. The Weymouth translation says, for we are God's own handiwork. New Living Translation says, we are God's masterpiece. A lot of versions say, God himself has made us what we are. Listen, don't don't be talking trash about God's creation. Don't be talking trash about God's handiwork. You have no right Even though you're talking about yourself, you have no right to talk down and talk trash about what God's done in you. Call it when it said, I'm just so unworthy. 
you know, I'm just, oh, Lord, you know, I'm, there's none righteous. No, not one. And we've all sinned. Lord, I'm just, stop talking like that. That does not, people think they're being humble. But really what they're doing, they're insulting God's handiwork. You are God's masterpiece. That doesn't mean you, that in the natural realm you're perfect. That doesn't mean that you're, that you're uh, in some way lifted up above other Christians. It doesn't mean that. All of us, the new creation, the new creation man and woman, that new creation that you are is God's masterpiece. God never created an unrighteous believer. He never created an unrighteous new creation. God doesn't have, he would not create something that is less than what it needs to be. Oh, glory to God. So stop talking that way about yourself. Stop talking about you're unworthy. I know sometimes you feel unworthy. I understand that when you do wrong, you can feel unworthy. And that's when you go to the Lord and you confess your sin. You say, Father, I missed it. 1 John 1, 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, and you go on in standing. Even when you've missed it, you still have right standing to go to the Lord. And you go to the Lord and you confess that sin and he says, it's all washed. Glory to God. And there's a, there's a, a cleansing of the conscience again. God wants us to live that way. And if you live that way every day, when you approach prayer, when you look at the subject of prayer, when, when, when a need arises and you need help or somebody else needs help, you have the boldness and the courage that you're not looking for somebody else. You're not looking for a prayer team. You're not looking for a prayer chain. You're not trying to get six other churches to tell all their people to pray. So you can have 45 people pray. You know that God will listen to your prayers. Glory to God. Now, the Bible teaches praying for one another. It said that in James 5, 16. Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you might be ill. But the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, makes tremendous power available. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.